Welcome to the weekly podcast at Second Ponce de Leon Baptist Church. My name is Doc Hollingsworth. I'm senior pastor of this great congregation, and we're delighted that you've joined us. Our prayer for you is that as you listen to this message, you might feel closer to God and closer to God's hope for you. Today's New Testament scripture reading is from the book of 1 Timothy, chapter 6, verses 6 through 19. That text may be found on page 965 in your pew Bible if you would like to follow along. Of course, there is great gain in godliness combined with contentment. For we brought nothing into the world so that we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with these. But those who want to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, and in their eagerness to be rich, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. But as for you, man of God, shun all this. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and for which you were made, the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. In the presence of God, who gives life to all things, and of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, I charge you to keep the commandment without spot or blame until the manifestation of our Lord Jesus Christ for which he will bring about at the right time, he who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords. It is he alone who has immortality and dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. As for those who in the present age are rich, command them not to be haughty, or to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, riches, but rather on God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, generous and ready to share, thus storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of the life that really is life. I have been now uh, more than nine years in this pulpit, so I hope you have noticed, and I don't have to say, what my approach to preaching is. It is that the Bible is my focus and guide every week. I try to take one passage and then help that one text come alive for this one day. Trusting that I'm going to get another shot next week and the next and the next, and it all doesn't have to be said today. One message, one passage, trusting that over time we'll get to the whole swath of it. So the Bible, through the lens of Jesus, is the master and focus of my preaching task. But there is a quote that has also been very informative to my preaching. It's from American psychiatrist Harry Stack Sullivan, and Dr. Sullivan says this, 
all of us are much more human than otherwise. You buy that? I love the simplicity of it. In other words, there is a universality to our human experience. I mean, there are differences, sure, right? Age, culture, ethnicity, experience, education, all of that. But at the core, each of us yearns the same. I've told a couple of you that most of the time when I preach, I'm just preaching to myself and I'll let you all overhear it. Because we're all dealing with the same stuff. One of those common threads is that we all want to live lives that matter, make lives of significance and contribution and happiness. It's what we want for our children. Any number of you have said to me, I just want my child to be happy. We all want the good life, la dolce vida. We want to prosper and thrive, or as Paul puts it in this letter to Timothy, We want the life that really is life. And you and I keep coming in here Sunday after Sunday because we know at some deep level that that life abides in the person of Jesus. That the life that really is life is here, it's blurry, it keeps captivating us. But it also keeps escaping us because we leave here and are prey to other louder and more competing voices that tell us that there are other ways we can get there. The biggest cultural lie is that more money and more stuff will make you happy. Of course, our economy is dependent on that lie, right? You've got to feel unsatisfied with who you are, what your place in life is. You've got to ache for more stuff to fill the empty place. Otherwise, what would motivate you to go buy the new shoes or the boat or the vacation home that you think will make the hunger go away? I have a unique perspective as pastor. I know that there is a lot of pain per square foot in some of these really big houses. Waste and excess, Vogue magazine and baubles, and still more pain and fear than you can fathom. Every billboard tells us that more stuff and more money will lead to happiness and satisfaction. And you know it's a lie because you most likely have more stuff right now than you once did. And the fear still rumbles. As usual, the gospel has an upside down message. Contentment and generosity are the only paths to abundant living. Now you can make $40,000 a year tithe, have 36 left, spend 35 of it, and just be as happy as you can be. Or you can make $400,000 a year, spend 401,000 of it, and you'll just be absolutely miserable. The anecdote to a lie is the truth. 
the lie. More stuff will make you happier. More money will make you more secure. The truth, contentment will make you rich. Generosity will make you happy. It really is that plain and straightforward. You know, some, sometimes when preaching, I get to show off that I went to school, right? I get to translate some Greek for you or uh, tell you what a denarius was or something about first century agriculture. You know, so, so we can all understand the parable. Not today. Today, you don't need me up here at all to illuminate understanding on this passage. If you just read it for yourself, flat-footed, it is loud and clear. If you want to live the life that really is life, it's brought about by godliness combined with contentment and doing good and being generous. Listen to a few more phrases from this passage that are just so clear. Just, they just are what they are, right? They need, they need no nuancing whatsoever. There's great gain in godliness combined with contentment. The love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Shun all this. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, gentleness. Don't set your hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but rather on God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Now, I know this can be easy to dismiss as church talk, the stuff the preacher's supposed to say on Sunday, Doc, you don't live in the real world with the rest of us. Well, I would invite you to test this against your own experience. Who are the most alive people you have ever known? Did they live with an insatiable hunger for more or with contentment? Now, hear the difference. I'm, I'm not asking if they had money or didn't have money. It's were they hungry all the time and unsatisfied or content. I once played golf with a guy in Florida, a friend of mine. We were playing at one of his three country club memberships, this one in Florida. And I asked him, it's just the two of us, and I said, what is the downside of your affluence? I mean, all of us see the, see the upside. We see all the... but." There's got to be a downside. What? That quickly, he said, cash flow. He said, you realize how much cash I've got to generate every month to pay the taxes on these three properties and on the yacht, to pay for all the repairs that all this requires, to play the club dues, all the rest of the stuff. He said, it is a scary number. And sometimes I lie in bed at night and worry and wonder if I'm going to pull it off again this month. Will the cash flow be there? Some months it's not there. 
It was a fast round of golf, by the way. We got back in the cart pretty quickly, took off. It was about a three-and-a-half-hour round. He had an important phone call or something. I don't remember what. My grandmother shelled her own peas, tithed her meager earnings, lived in a small two-bedroom, one-bath mill house, and joy spilled all over the 1,200 square feet of it. Theologian Chad Myers makes a wonderful distinction between mammon and manna. Mammon, he says, is the economy of scarcity that's convinced there's not enough to go around, so I've got to get and hoard all I can right now. And the desire for mammon is insatiable, and it never satisfies. And it's a small economy that includes only certain people, and it buys temporary toys, and it invests with anxiety. The mammon economy fears for its job, fears the market, fears inflation, fears losing. But manna, he says, is the economy of abundance. Remember, Manna is the food that God gave the Hebrews in the wilderness, and God always gave more than what was needed. As you recall, the manna only dried up when they started taking two days' supply at once, remember? In the great economy of manna, investments are made in people, in in things that can't be taken away. Manna gives what money can't buy. It's the currency of the kingdom. And living the life that really is life is learning to love the things that God gives freely and amply, the manna things. Our scripture today includes one of the most misquoted scriptures passages in all of Scripture. Paul does not say money is the root of all evil. He says the love of money is the root of all evil. Or as John Wesley said, not money in itself, but the inordinate love of it becomes the parent of all manner of evils. The passage is not a condemnation of people who have lots of money. There's a warning against the wealthy becoming haughty or putting too much hope in their money instead of God. But affluence in itself is not condemned or applauded. Wherever you are on the financial scale, you can live scared and needy or you can live content and generous. You you probably know the story about uh, John D. Rockefeller who was asked at the peak of his wealth, how much money is enough? And he said, one more dollar. The life that really is life is not found in the number. It's found in this spirit of contentment and generosity. I have enough, 
And I give stuff away. Now I'm going to make a bold statement that risks me sounding like a televangelist. I hope you'll give me time to explain myself. I mean, I am a preacher on TV, right? I, I get. Earlier I said we're all living a common experience, that we all want the good life, we want to prosper and thrive, we want the life that really is life. Well, here's my audacious claim. If you're not giving generously to your church, you are living short of this shining hope. If you're not sharing your abundance to advance the cause of Christ, then you are still trapped inside of an unsatisfying game of trying to get more mammon to fight the fear. This month, I've been preaching stewardship in conversation with our four core values, discipleship, worship, missions, and community. And today, of course, the focus is on missions. That's the part of our church that is sharing God's love and grace beyond the walls of this place, God's operation beyond these doors. And as George Trussler said, we're supporting all kind of missionaries, and we send a team to help in Miami every year. And as he said, in the more public and in the quieter ways, we are always doing something out there to help the least and the lost. I hope when you go upstairs for the church and conference, you'll pick up one of these. It's an impact report. Uh, Candace does such great work. It gives all kind of fun statistics like the 650 sack meals we made for youth and college students and the 191 congregational care flower arrangements and all the rest. It takes money for this to happen. We buy canned goods and plane tickets and hygiene kits and put money in a fund to support theological education or Janae Angel in Antwerp or whatever. That's what those of us who have resources do. And if you're not with us, if you're not inside the joy of generosity for the sake of the kingdom enterprise, then you are cheating yourself the life that really is life. Here's what Paul says to those of us with resources. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, generous, ready to share, thus storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of the life that really is life. What we want for ourselves, for our children, happiness, fulfillment, the good life. Do you know one person who is fully alive who is at peace, who laughs easily, who's living the fullness that we are all hoping for. Do you know one person who fits that description who is not generous? Verse 
I do not. The most abundant people I know live on manna. Be content, do good, so that you might, might have the life that really is life. Amen. Thanks for joining us. If you live in the Atlanta area or visiting Atlanta, come and worship with us in person on Sundays at Second Ponce de Leon Baptist Church.